What's up, gentlemen? This is Rising Phoenix Podcast, the podcast about how to rise up after your divorce. I'm your host, Michael Rhodes. Let's get into it. Joining me today is Mr. John Hatcher. Uh, John, let's just uh, jump right into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Happy to do so. Happy to be here. I, uh, let's see, I got my foray into all of this, ironically, by a, by a breakup. And um, I had always dabbled in writing. Uh, it was a it was a hobby of mine through college and graduate graduate school, and and I just uh, I started an email list of kind of relatable cathartic humor, and mm. had uh, had a little following there, and um, people kept pushing me to write. Um, mm. I, I never wanted to do it, and um, I started started writing uh, just a blog, and um, I wrote about uh, an anxious breakup I had, and and that caught the attention of a, of a movie producer down in Hollywood who wanted a screenplay. It was called Breaking Up Badly. And I decided, I met with him and I decided, you know, rather than having this as a one shot, potentially bad film, um, I would write the book. So I wrote Breaking Up Badly and got an agent and a, an attorney and, um, and that started going out. And what happened was a publisher, my first publisher loved the voice of it, but wanted a, a, an anxiety book for, for teens. And I thought, well, I was an anxious teen. This is perfect. I can write yeah. this. And, and that's really how it started. My first feature article was in Justine, a teen girl magazine, Oh wow! which was a bit of a stretch. Um, but you know, from there I, I started <laughs> writing features for good housekeeping, prevention, health readers digest. And then, um, the teen anxiety book was my first. And that was in 2016. There's a subsequent book coming out, a sequel to that in 2023. I have an adult book called Anxiety Hacks for an Uncertain World, which will be released in December. Um, oh, nice. Targeted. Thank you. More for adults. It's an international release. And I have a regular self-help humor column on psychology today, um, which has been interesting. I, I really enjoyed it. It's, uh, you know, a, a pretty, pretty serious site and uh, I've, I brought a different flavor to it to say the <laughs> least. So I'm honored to have that opportunity. And, um, you know, I, my work is extensively peer reviewed, so I don't write in a vacuum of, mm. you know, I wonder if this is working. I've, I've got a lot of smarter people than me that are peer reviewing my work nice. um, for clinical efficacy. And, um, what I do is I, I write and take the, the acronyms and the science and the clinical ease out of it and make, stuff palatable for general audiences, but I can be reached at stateofanxiety.com or anxietyhacks.co. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's who you're talking to today. <laughs> well, that, uh, I found you on psychology today. Um, I'm a frequent reader. That's where a lot of my guests come from, Very to be quite cool. honest with you. Yeah. Uh, and, and what caught my attention was, uh, an article or a blog post. I, I don't remember the exact title, but I remember anxiety being sort of the highlight of, of the title. Yeah. And I thought, well, well, what the hell is that? And, and <laughs> <laughs> so I read that and, and, um, I, I was, uh, immediately connected with it and, Let's talk a little bit about that particular blog post. Why did you write it? Um, have you gotten feedback? Like uh, those kinds of things. Yeah. So thank you for reading that. I actually coined the term um, because I've always been an anxious male. And I thought anxiety for men is different. It presents differently, uh, whether it's acute, short term or chronic, you know, long term at three months or more. Um, they've actually studied fraternal twins and showed that women are more affected by 
interpersonal relationships related to anxiety, while men are more sensitive to external factors like their career. Mm. And I think we can all relate to that as men, that it's these external things that are driving our anxiety and it presents differently for men as well. So we'll see it as anger, irritability, chest pain, um, things that'll land us in the ER and they'll say, it's not a heart attack, it's anxiety. And and that's literally what happened to me. I, I went to the ER with chest pain, convinced I was dying and I remember the, it was a female doctor and she came in and she just gently told me, um, sir, you're actually having an anxiety attack. And I thought, ah, bullshit, I'm having a heart attack. I'm dying. <laughs> How <laughs> you dare you? They, yeah. they gave me nitroglycerin and an EKG and all these things. And I thought, are you kidding me? I, I was embarrassed. You know? I bet. And, uh, yeah. um, but, you know, that was kind of the foray into me figuring out what was going on. And unfortunately for men, you know, there's a lot of this denial. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we plug the holes however we can. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's with external things. Um, you know, we start with the denial um, and then we move kind of into the distraction and mm-hmm. um, that can take many forms. And unfortunately it often takes the forms of substance abuse um, or, you know, we'll just work out too much or we'll, you know, um, do anything but accept the fact that, you know, we're dealing with a stigmatized real condition and um, we don't want to appear weak or vulnerable. And, you know, it's hard for us to, you know, we're conditioned to man up um, throughout. Yeah. Very early on. Right. And um, we don't want to discuss these vulnerabilities with anybody else. There's kind of this unwritten rule that we have to be in control at all times. And um, this makes it really difficult to identify anxiety in men, um, even at really high levels. And, Mm you know, we'll go, we'll go to the hospital or we'll talk to, if we hopefully do eventually talk to a therapist, we'll present it as anything, but what's actually going on because we can't identify it. I couldn't identify it in myself. And, you know, it's very common. Yeah. And I I think I see it all the time. Um, I, I probably suffer from it as much as any, any man, except for I, I'm not too keen as my australian friends say in accepting it like i don't i'm just not i'm not gonna that's just not what i'm gonna do i'm not gonna isolate and we'll we'll get to loneliness because i think i think what happens is this anxiety to be a man right to 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 be tough um causes loneliness because because we're supposed to be tough so we're not supposed to talk about it but if we get around other men and we have conversations it's going to bring things up and we don't want to fucking do that because that means we're <laughs> gonna have, right we're gonna have we're gonna have feelings we might, we might even fucking cry like fuck all that <laughs> and so then we then we isolate right and so that leads to right. and i think particularly uh as we discussed uh briefly before uh hit the record button it uh, after a breakup right that seems to be when we isolate the most in, in some ways, right? Yeah, that's a huge trigger. And, um, you know, that first piece that I wrote um, on breaking up badly was related to why am I handling this breakup so badly? Um, I just gone through a, a, a shoulder surgery. I don't, I think it was like number 10. I've had 13 orthopedic surgeries and 10 of them were shoulder. And um, I was in a sling and I, I had just gone through this big breakup. My girlfriend at the time, um, was going off to medical school from California to New York. And um, I didn't want to go, but I thought we'd just, you know, have a long distance relationship. Things would work out. And right. she had a, she had other plans. And so, you know, <laughs> she ended things and I was literally on my floor trying to tie my shoe with one arm 
and a fetus-like T-Rex other arm. And I realized, man, I am really unhappy and lonely. And I started crying and I'm like, I'm like, I know there's some humor in here somewhere. Right. Right. I'm trying to, you know, I don't have Velcro shoes, but I can't, I can't tie my shoe and I'm lonely and dumped. And, um, you know, I, then the anxiety really kicked in and, um, I thought, you know, I don't, I don't have anyone to talk to. And I think that's, you know, there's a difference between loneliness and being alone and yeah. being alone could be great. Yeah. It's redemptive. You know, it's, we do a lot of, of good things when we're alone. Um, but loneliness is completely different. It's like when you're going through that situation and you don't have anyone to talk to. And it's also the biggest predictor of health and longevity for anyone. Yes. Um, these close social ties, um, yep. it's, it's, it's life or death. You know, your close social ties and relationships for men, which we're supposed to have, it's in our DNA. We're wired to have other bonds with men. Yes. Um, but it's, it's 22% effect of on of an effect on our longevity and our health and uh you know that's a big chunk right um so we start out as boys feeling connected in our friendships as the same level as as girls do but yep. we tend to neglect those personal relationships as we get older yep. and we're pursuing external success um our jobs etc and you know we're conditioned to be independent self-sufficient and then we give up those relationships in lieu of financial pursuits and right. um, research backs this up. And the ir irony of this is that focusing on the accumulation of wealth and material goods, et cetera, results in a decrease in our overall happiness and satisfaction. Hmm. Um, but in our defense, chasing money is much less scary than chasing male strangers to be friends. <laughs> That's very true. And less creepy, I think, maybe. Yeah. And, you know, there's that perception. I had a conversation yeah, yeah. yesterday about this uh, with another man. And it's like, um, you know, we all feel that when another guy's being friendly, like, what does he want? Um, right. you know, yeah. Our threats perception goes up now. Our threat radar, like, yeah. um, is this person? Oh, go ahead. How much? No, I was just going to say. How much do you think of that? Is the jadedness of our society? Because when you when you go on Facebook and and uh, you're if you're in Facebook groups or it seems like there's always there's this feeling I get, or maybe even the world at large feels like someone's always trying to sell me something. Right? Yeah, well, they are <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like I, I mean the, the the Facebook group I, I run. I don't allow coaches in there because. They, they come off as, oh, I want to help. But then it's just like, yeah, I'm really looking for clients. So I don't really give a shit yeah, about any yeah. of you guys. I just want your money. And so I feel like that's part of our society now, like that used car salesman fucked us. <laughs> like they started this shit, yeah, right? Sure. And we'll blame it on them. <laughs> like, they, and, and, and so I think we kind of view everyone in that lens and, and, that, and that can make it make you skeptical for anyone that, that is looking for a friend or is just trying to help or whatever. I think, I think it's, society is kind of, we, we've been jaded, I think. Yeah, there's a lot to that, you know, um, especially now there's yeah. a, a, a lack of appreciation for fellow life out yeah. there. Um, yeah. And, you know, I believe that love trumps all. I, I think that, I you know, being vulnerable is a strength. Yes. It's not a weakness. And 100%. when you, when you get to that point, you realize it, it's like a, it's a epiphany. I mean, yeah. it's a huge moment and yeah, you might get upsold something or somebody might approach you in a way you're like, damn it. I didn't see that coming, but you know, <laughs> right. I source the humor in that. I mean, yeah. um, 
last night I was out to dinner with my girlfriend and the waiter was being really, really friendly. Right. And I was like, Oh, he's such a nice guy. And, uh, you know, he brought some free stuff and I'm like, God, this guy is just amazing. And then I noticed he was completely focused on my girlfriend. He was talking to her the whole time. And I'm like, good God, this guy's totally hidden on her right in front of me. Like, am I, does he not see me? Am I not am I right. that much of a wuss that, you know, he thinks this is okay. Yeah. And I just sourced the humor and I'm like, you know, way to go, hon. You got us some free stuff. Like, I got to take you out more to nicer restaurants and, you know, see how far we can take this. And, um, you know, it at, at some point in my life, that would have been a threat. You know, when I was yeah. younger. Sure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I was in the yeah. gym all the time. And, you know, you'll see these yeah. guys that are, you know, just getting yoked and they're yeah. all tatted up and they're projecting this image. Um, but that's not the real guy. And it's OK to 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 be you. And, you know, I've, I've got, I've reached this point with age and, and I think it takes a lot of guys that to, to reach this with, with age, unfortunately, um, you can't kind of proselytize this to, to younger guys, um, because I wouldn't have got it either. Um, but I went through a lot and, and so I have nothing to prove personally, um, you know, going through all the, the surgeries and accidents and stupidity that I've done and, um, you know, all those surgeries and then going through uh, a cancer, <clears throat> excuse me, that was all, I'm, I'm very appreciative of all those things. And I had to prove to myself that I could get through all that. And, um, and then at the end of it, I looked at my friendships and the people that weren't there. And I was like, wow, I got to do a purge. I got to do a cleanse of these people. Right. And that was a very lonely time for me. You know, I was taking Uber to chemo with a, you know, barf bag. And I'm like, this can't be right. Where are my friends? You know? And, um, they were there when, you know, it's time to party or, sure. you know, get wasted or go to concerts or hit on yeah. girls. But, um, you know, when, when it mattered, I had nobody. And, and that's when I felt really lonely when I was really sick going through chemo. And I'm like, what a bunch of assholes I have for friends. And I mean, I got rid of everybody, including my own sibling. Um, Oh, so. wow. Uh, I, I can relate to that. I'm, I'm the same way in terms of my, my, my brother. I don't talk to him, but how, how did you get through it? How did, uh, how did you survive, honestly, that, that time? Because you're not only dealing with what you're dealing with in terms of the cancer, uh, and we can, we can certainly dive into that a little bit more if you want to talk about just, you know, that experience, but um, that's tough enough. I, I seen my father struggle with it and ultimately succumb to it, but then to be isolated on top of that, how the hell did you survive that? Honestly, you know, I looked at what other people were going through and I was like, you know, there are people going through a lot worse than I am. Um, mm. I had just lost my maternal grandmother uh, to a smoker's cancer. She never smoked. She had a lung cancer. I had a smoker's cancer. I never smoked. Oh, and wow. as soon as I got into remission, my mom was diagnosed with a breast cancer, very rare breast cancer called inflammatory breast cancer, which is 1% of Jeez. all breast cancers. And she was stage four and she's still fighting it, um, which is miraculous. Um, it spread to her brain. She's just, I looked at my mom, you know, I looked at her resilience and, um, I looked at other people that were going through huge losses and, um, you know, I licked my wounds for three weeks and I moved forward and I was like, you know, you know, if, if these other folks can do what they're doing, um, you know, I, I can dive in and, and source my why. And, um, and I wrote and I, and I sourced the humor and everything that was going on. And in my instance, it was a bladder cancer. So 
there was a lot of humor. I had nothing but catheters. I was going home with bags on my leg and catheters and the treatment was all, I called it dick rape. Uh, it was all, all up the urethra, man. And it was oh, not, Jesus. you want to have your, your manhood <laughs> put in peril. Uh, yeah, that was it. And so oh, even the surgery goodness. was up the pee hole and it, yeah, I, I had a, I, I'll tell you, once you have a tumor removed out the urethra and you take that first piss, you're gripping the walls and screaming. I had Ow. just nothing to prove after all of this. Right. Um, mm. you know, and, uh, my own brother was a smoker of many decades and he saw the bag of my leg. And I said, look, you're, this is coming for you. If you keep smoking and you know, he, yeah. he didn't, he didn't want to have any of that. So, you know, yeah. I just, I dug in, I dug in and I found my why. And then I, I realized, <clears throat> you know, I could find people that were, were better people. And I joined a men's group through, uh, through my church, which was awesome and, um, made some really good bonds with guys that were able to be themselves. Um, and, and I just realized that if I'm going to, you know, get through the things that I needed to get through for, for my mom and for myself and, uh, you know, I needed to tap into just some friendships. What do you attribute that to though? Because you, I don't, I don't want to say you could have easily, but you could have gone the other way and just said, fuck it, I'm done. So there was something within you. What, but, but what do you attribute that to? Cause I don't know that everyone has that, that ability to say, all right, what, this is where I'm at. What do I need to do? How did, what do you, where do you, do you think that came from some kind of foundational childhood thing? Was that something that was instilled in you or, or how do you, how did you find that strength? That's a great, but also extremely tough question, Michael. I tell you, um, I think it was innate, a lot of it. Um, you know, I just grew up not being a quitter, uh, very resilient. And uh, I, I, I had lost two, two buddies to suicide growing up. And mm. uh, that just really hit me. And I thought, you know, I definitely questioned it. I definitely questioned how I would do it. Uh, it was an escape hatch for me, like knowing, you know what, if things get any worse, I've got yeah. this out. Yeah. But what happened was it's, suicide never ends with you. It's passed on to your loved ones. And I knew I couldn't do that to, to my folks and, and to the people that did love me. Uh, I don't see suicide as a weakness. I see it as people hit a point where unfortunately that is their only way for any relief. And I get that. I get that level of pain, but I also focus and I write about this, that you pass this on, you pass on that hurt and that legacy to other, other people and many other people in a circle. And, uh, I, I just couldn't do that. So, you know, I really focused on, Hey, this isn't the end. It feels like it, but I focused on what could be the past that hope for a different outcome. I shifted my perspective. I found the humor. I started writing about it. It's funny to have that much stuff shoved up your dick and, (laughs) and try to have, you know, conversation. And it was always by a female, right. And, you know, you're going in the office and, you know, it's, these are intimate moments with strangers and, uh, you don't want these, you know, I go in on Tuesday again for a cystoscopy, you know, and it's just always, you know, you're in stirrups. Like it's just just so emasculating. There's nothing more emasculating than this. And so, you know, you have to find the humor. Um, and, and I do, and I write about it. And so that's what got me through. How, how, how did, uh, Man, there's I, I always love sort of analyzing folks just because it's fascinating to me. 
because you're different than me, right? I don't, I don't, I don't know what I would do in these situations, but I don't, it probably wouldn't be like you did it. And that, and so that's interesting to me, like, how did this develop? And so I want to go back. You talked about the suicide of some friends. How old were you then uh, when, when those occurred? Yeah, I started cutting at 13. Um, and, you know, I was on antidepressants at that time, anti-anxiety meds and sleep pills. And, you know, it was a very young age to be going through all that. And I don't, I don't know why I was so, you know, I was adopted. I came, I came with a lot of stuff and I, sure. I assumed that that was rooted in me and, and I had a lot of stuff to work out and I grew up angry and, um, I was in Taekwondo and I was fighting all the time and starting fights. And, you know, I had my nose broke, my teeth broke, my orbital fractured and, um, still I was doing dumb stuff. Um, I went through a couple of arrests, um, even in college. I had this kind of a dichotomy in my life where the anger side was getting me in a lot of trouble, but the academic side that had some hope still for, for a different outcome for that future, um, was an honor roll, you know, um, a graduate student, you know, I had a 4.0, but I also spent the last week of my final quarter of undergraduate college in, in jail, uh, for fighting. And wow. I graduated with a record which was insane. I couldn't even get a job, um, wow. which was, which was crazy. So I knew I had a lot of stuff to work out and I did that through therapy. Ah, okay. So, <clears throat> I mean, it all comes, I, I just think there's always something that occurs. I mean, yes, there could be some innate things, right. That, that, you know, well, that was within me, but I always feel like there's some kind of catalyst or something to, to make you the way you are. I, I had a, a, another guy on uh, a regular fella went through a divorce and he's so calm and collected about it all. And yeah, we're kind of friends still with the ex. And I'm just like, that's fucking weird to me. And I'm <laughs> like, but, but how are you like this? Like, and then he got back to, well, I did take a lot of martial arts when I was younger. I was like, ah, okay, there we go. So there's always some kind of foundational or, or, or some kind of thing i think that helps direct us um it's not always just an eight i don't think i could be wrong i think there are some things that probably are but would you say that that therapy and all that it sounds like you did a lot of work on yourself at some point god yeah that did that sort of uh, you know allow you to navigate the cancer yeah i had to hit rock bottom though you know prior i was i was even hospitalized at two points in my life um for just giving up i remember going into uh um, a psychiatric involuntary hold in, uh, in a very scary place in Oakland um, for, for a stint. And uh, I just didn't care. I just didn't yeah. give a shit anymore. Yeah. You know, I was done. I got to a point where I couldn't eat and I had to have an IV just to hydrate and feed me. And Jeez. I just gave up, you know, um, yeah. I didn't want to commit suicide, but I really didn't have the energy to go on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say, and I certainly don't mean to, Therapy is amazing. I mean, everybody should have it. It's, it's like a coach. It's, yeah. it's your biggest proponent. And uh, I think anybody could benefit from therapy. Yes. And so I, I need to give props and a shout out to, to therapists and therapy in general, because um, I was able to vent all of this and, and, and find ways to, to deal with some of these intrusive thoughts and, yeah. and, and the anxiety and, um, you know, anxiety comes from, we're not even sure it's, it's part biological, it's part environmental. It could be seed planted from our parents. Um, but that doesn't really matter. It's what you do with it. True. Uh, that makes the difference and in, in where you channel it. And so with therapy and, and through writing, that was 
really my saving grace. Man, I got to tell you, John, I didn't know all of this stuff. And I I, I want to commend you, my friend. Um, oh, thank you. Thank what, you. I mean, what a story. What a what a what an excellent example of what being a man ultimately means to me is you you finally at some point said, OK, this is my shit. I have to fix it and I have to deal with it. That to me is what a man is and what a man does. He owns his stuff. And you clearly did that. Um, wow, dude. You, uh, well, you you said you've written some books. When, when are we getting the biography? Because I'm reading those. <laughs> you know, I'm. it's funny because I still, um, at the time I was, my day job was selling hospital beds into ICUs and the VA and stuff. And I would see these guys who would come back from Afghanistan or Iraq and, and they would have missing limbs and they were, you know, 20 years old. And yeah. um they had to learn everything again. And I was like, God, I can't believe I'm pitying myself over mm. these guys that have given everything. Um, yeah. Perspective is and, a powerful thing. Oh, it's huge. Right. And so, you know, I don't think my, my story is my story if, in that it, if I didn't have these things, like I'm super thankful for cancer. I'm super thankful for that because it's interesting. Hmm. Um, I, I, I had started pissing blood, um, like 10 months prior and I ignored it because I'm a guy, right? I, I knew that if, if I went in, right. they were going to stick a camera at me yeah. and that was not going to be fun. So I yeah. thought, you know, I don't, I don't really care about my life. I was in that space and it yeah. was dark and I thought, oh, whatever, I pissed blood for three days. It went away. And then on my birthday, 10 months later, um, I just lost that, that grandmother I spoke about, Hazel. And I just took a trip by myself over, it was Labor Day weekend, my birthday falls on. And um, as soon as I got to the hotel, I started pissing blood again. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is not a good birthday. And I knew in that moment that I had can't, I just knew. Um, and, and so I went through that, that weekend. And, um, and then when I finally went in, they did some tests, I found this out, but it was like, um, you know, I, I, I've got to, I've got to source some meaning right now. And I've got to find, I've got to find some, I was trying to work out and, and still, you know, maintain a life. And I, I had a girlfriend at that time, but she was drinking too much. And I remember I dumped her too, you know, and I, I, I got rid of all my friends and I just went through this completely. It was just this amazing period of my life where I was like, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get rid of my friend. I'm just going to start with a clean slate on the other side of this. Yeah. And, and that's literally what I did. And it was, it was, I don't wish this sort of level of adversity on anyone um, to find this perspective, but I hope that other guys, I hope everybody in general can source this on their own um, without that level of setback. Yeah. So we, we definitely, uh, I know I probably say this phrase way too fucking much. Sorry, everybody, but we definitely found some rabbit holes today. Uh, um, yeah. But, but, <laughs> But that, I mean, what a, what a great story, John. I didn't know, uh, man, what, what, honestly, what a fucking inspiration you are, my friend. Um, well, that means a lot. I've never felt like an inspiration to anybody, but it, it just, it means a lot to me. Thank you. Oh, no, you, I, I, I'm very serious. You should write a biography. Um, so, but let's, let's get back to loneliness. So, so you went through this time, this period where, and, and in some ways you, you were lonely because of circumstances in terms of people sort of abandon you, I guess would be a, a proper way to describe it. And then also at some point you said you, you purged a lot of these people. So how did you get back from that? How did you, how did you start to climb out of that loneliness hole, so to speak? Yeah, that's interesting because I was extremely lonely. I mean, I could feel it in my chest, right? I was like, 
man, I've spent my entire life surrounded by such a huge circle of people and what vapid people they were, you know, most of them, I can't speak for everybody. Cause I, there were some good folks in there and, um, people that stepped up that I never expected, which was phenomenal. But, um, for the most part, I didn't have very many close people in my life. And, um, I always tell people there are worse things than being alone and surrounding yourself with, you know, shallow, negative, toxic, or self-serving people like, you know, the kind that jade us is worse than being alone. Mm. It's better to start from scratch. You know, we crawl before we learn to walk and we spend time alone before we surround ourselves with the people that we do. And, um, the people that we surround ourselves with form our, our outlook and our personality. So we need to be fiercely protective of that. So first thing I did was implement some boundaries Mm. and, you know, these are the kind, kind of people I'm going to allow in my life. And these are the people that I will shun fervently. And I built from scratch from there. You know, I, I joined the men's group. I, I reconnected with old friends that I had um, long lost touch with um, that were good in my life, but we had just drifted apart. And, and that's, you know, find the commonality. I, I would find people that, you know, where are the people, where are my people? Where are the people that are spent, where I spend time with? whether it's running or at the gym or, um, you know, in whatever endeavors I'm doing, uh, I got into surfing again and, you know, made connections that way, et cetera. So, uh, and then I, I put out that vulnerability and I find that once I, and I call it the vulnerability kimono. Once I opened it, it was like, look, I'm a man still, but I'm lonely <laughs> and I need friends. And I walked out of the forest of loneliness and exposed myself essentially other guys were like oh man that's the same way it's hard to make friends as as an adult right you're in college it's so easy you're spoon-fed friendships i mean they're just built into the process and then you get maybe your first job and you get some friends that way but then when you know covid hit etc we've had it's been a a pandemic of loneliness it's it literally is an epidemic of loneliness for me i agree i agree and it's killing us and so you know i found the commonality with other guys and, and built built from there. I mean, you and I have commonality. You and I have built a bond in, in our conversation. I honestly swear to God, I was just thinking, I fucking want to hug him so bad. Like I, I just, <laughs> I, I, you, could you, could you come to Pennsylvania? Is that all yeah, right? Uh, you going to do a book tour or uh, yeah. And I, I forgot mean, to mention I'm in California on the central coast. So yeah, it's a, it's a good 3000 mile jaunt, but yeah. I mean, if, uh, if anyone One wants day. to donate, yeah. Donate a plane ticket for me to get to John, I would appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, I think the solution, I think, ultimately, is vulnerability. Because if you're if you're vulnerable enough to say I am lonely, that's the start, right? And then, mm-hmm. then the question is, what do I do now? And I and from I talked to many people on this topic, and it's put yourself out there seems <clears throat> to be the best answer. Is put yourself out there, try things, go to um, different meetups, and 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 that's part of what I'm trying to do is build out a network of divorced men. So you know, cities all over the world, I want to create like the AA for divorced men. It's just Sometimes I think there is, there's a, there's a difficulty sometimes in getting men to be vulnerable to say, oh yeah, shit, I I am lonely right now. And and maybe I do need to, to, to take some actions to, to alleviate that. But it's such a stigma that if you do that, ah, you're, you're a bitch. Don't be a bitch, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's like, why is it, what does this guy want? And, you know, I say, find the commonality and go from there. You know, it could be like, you know, 
you, you made a little human. Well, so did I, I have a son. What's, you know, what's, what do you have? And, um, you know, or saying, Hey, you know, we should hit happy hour after work or top golf or whatever. Um, the shortest route to making new friends, I do want to stress is to rejoin the former friends that you had, the, the good people. Um, they know you best after all they knew true what shitty beer you drank and, and you know, when you were 21 and you had a mullet and, you know, they knew, they knew these things about you and, you know, there's, there's commonality already built in in the absence of a cache of former friends, you could, you know, make new ones. And, and this is, you know, somebody that spots you at the gym on the bench press or a coworker, or or like I mentioned, a men's group, there's men's groups at, at every religious entity or you know i i would drive through town on on the weekend sometimes and i'd see these gatherings of people s- staring at their phones and i realized there was these pikachu expedition clubs you know and i'm like man these these people have more friends than i do and they're a bunch of nerds like are you serious and then i'm like i shouldn't rip on that because you know yeah. they have these great consortium of people and i don't um so you know it's it's joining social media groups, like you said, that are, are built on interest, whether you stand up paddleboard or you snowshoe or you yeah. cross country run or you like beer and, yeah. you know, you microbrew or football, yeah. Yeah. you know, join your favorite team's football group. Uh, yeah. But I, I stress that to make a friend, it does take the vulnerability that you and I talked about, which yeah. is a strength. Let me say it again. Yeah. Vulnerability is a strength that is not a weakness because mm-hmm. it takes incredible strength to say, Hey, I am man, but I need fellow men. I need fellow fire starters. Right. And, um, you know, if you're, if your partner is your only friend, which men tend to do, we lean on our partner for those friendships. And, you know, there's a skit on Saturday night live called man park, which is absolutely fantastic. I don't, Mm -hmm. if anybody Google SNL man park and it's seen it. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic, right? Yeah. Yeah. We need that. We need it to survive. So yeah. it's really not so much being vulnerable as using common sense. Like I'm going to die without yeah. friends slowly well, because I'm going to have I, these conditions. I was thinking about that 22%. So it shortens our lifespan 22%, right? So what yes. is that in real numbers? Because And I'm really <laughs> fucking bad at math. What does that take off your life? Seven, eight years? I, I don't even know. Like what? So let's say it's Eighty, it was probably seventy-five, right? Is life expectancy? Let's call it seventy, because again, I'm a simple fella. So that could take what we're we're talking fourteen years of your life potentially. Could be for sure. Yeah, I mean, genetics is the gun, lifestyle is the trigger, right? So we're all wired differently. We may have conditions that are, you know, exacerbated by loneliness. You know, if you've got a bad heart, you're going to have a much higher chance of cardiovascular disease if you're spending your time alone and. So yeah, it's an average of at least seven years and men die earlier anyway, because we internalize True. everything. So wow. being vulnerable is, is a life-saving measure and you're still a man. Yeah. yeah. You could still be who you are and be vulnerable and people will appreciate it. And you'll find that other men have the same, yes. you know, what do you say to another guy like you and I met and it was like, Hey man. It's hard to make friends. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. For sure it is. I mean, listen, I wouldn't be able to, this isn't the first time I've covered this fucking topic. And there's a reason for that because I see it all the time, especially, and you mentioned it, you know, making a spouse your only friend. 
and then a divorce happens and then you you look around and and you have no friends or the friends you had came from her or or whatever and then you yeah. realize shit you're, you're you're similar to your situation where you're going through this excruciating thing and you look around and you have no fucking buddy there and it's that's it, we got to change it. It, it, and, and if it if it requires just saying, "Hey, hey, man, I'm 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 kind of lonely. You want to hang out?" If that's all it fucking takes, and for goodness gracious sake, go go do <laughs> that thing, and then add these years back to your life. Have have some joy and some happiness, and and set yourself up for a, a better life in general. You know, uh, it, it if all it takes is a little vulnerability and some effort. Fuck, man, what are we what are we not doing here? Come on. Yeah, it's really, it is a crisis. And um, for sure, especially in the last couple of years when we've even further isolated and, and I've, I'm guilty of that, you know, I've, and I still, I still isolate and I, yep. and I want to stress this formula for, for making friends. It takes effort plus momentum mm. to make a friend. And so you can have the intention, like we're talking about, like, yeah. oh, I need friends. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. But you have to then act. So it's really intention plus effort plus momentum. So you have the intention. You have to make the strides. Join that group. Reach yep. out to somebody. Yep. Go to the gym and spot somebody, whatever. Yeah. And, and then you have to keep doing that. Yep. You have to keep going and, you know, go to the dog park with your dog or um, the yep. beach, whatever. Yep. Um, if you're in the middle of the country, you know, I, I don't know what people do because I've been on the coast my whole life. So I'm always talking about the beach. I'm walking distance from it. Oh, but, that sounds um, Yeah, I'm, I'm behind Pebble Beach, but I don't golf. I actually hate golf. And I can't swing it because I've had 10 shoulder surgeries. So I'm kind of, I am a T-Rex. Um, but you have to have that momentum and it has yeah. to be sustainable. You have yeah. to keep doing it. And it's hard. And it's hard for me too. It yeah, is. it is hard. It, it's definitely not easy. And, and like I said, I, I'm trying to create these local groups um, through, through the larger group that I have on Facebook. And I'm trying to create offshoots, these little subgroups. And, and I, I need people to help run them because that momentum part, I believe is key too, because, because we are so adept at isolation. It, we need, we need to sort of be reminded or, or prodded in, in, in kind of a way like, Hey guys, what's everyone doing this weekend? Or, or how about next weekend? What, what, what can happen is everyone joins and then no one's sort of leading the pack, so to speak. And then it dies. And it's yep. like every, every once in a while, 100%. someone's like, Hey, can we get together this weekend? And it's crickets. And then three weeks, someone else will. So it's, it's definitely, uh, it needs, it needs work much like anything worth fucking doing does right if you want to look like the rock you, you can't hit the gym once a week like you i mean right. I, it just it takes work and takes effort and and but again the rewards are pretty fucking crystal clear to me if you're telling me if i get some more friends i'm gonna add potentially right of course everything the other factors and all this kind of shit but right I'm gonna add some yep. years to my life sign me up man i'd rather 100% live. you are yeah you're yeah. gonna live longer yeah and you know it, it is, especially, I, you know, I have anxiety in all forms. I've generalized. I have a little bit of OCD. I have social anxiety, which means that I'm always committing to things because I love to tell people, yes, yes, Michael, I'm going to go. I'll be there, man. I'll have to work. <laughs> and then it gets there and it's like, oh man, why did I commit? Yeah. It's, it's the last thing I want to do. So that's where the momentum comes in and the effort, you know, you've got to actually go and deliver on it. And, and that's, that's a hard part for guys. And I, yeah. I think, cause you know, <clears throat> we internalize a lot and we're always trying to work fixers and you know, for me, it's like, I've got a book release in December. I've got another one following that. And then I have a sequel to my adult book that I'm working on the book proposal for. So these things are stacking up and it's like, I just have to work, work, work. Yeah. And I've been doing 12 hour days, at least six days a week. And it's like, 
this is no balance and I'm really unhappy. And I'm, I'm not following my own advice. I'm like a cardiovascular surgeon that's outside smoking and on his breaks, you know, and it's like, sometimes I'm the worst at heeding my own advice, but I also, I also know that it's taking a toll on me and I have to pull back and I have to get out there. And so I'm, I'm consciously doing that. I'm making plans and I'm sticking to them and following through. That's tough. I I commend you. Uh, I want to, I want to go back to anxiety because I, I don't think I have it. Um, my oldest daughter has generalized anxiety disorder. And so I want to want to talk about that a little bit from your perspective. What, what is that? What does that mean to you? You have generalized anxiety disorder. What does that mean uh, by yeah. your definition? I think the, the one of the easiest ways to explain it is for generalized, which is a, a kind of a catch-all and it's the biggest kind of compartment of anxiety. That's what most people suffer from. And, and it's different than acute anxiety, you know, which is when you, like you board a plane to Boise and it's going to Buffalo and they shut the doors and you're like, how did I screw this up? And you get that panic, right? That's acute. And, and it's, you know, we get through that and it's anxiety is a necessary component to survival. You know, it's, it's, it's ingrained in our brain. It's grooved deep. It's a survival tactic. It's what gave us the wherewithal to run from the saber toothed tigers and um, from tribes and threats in our life. And we still need it. You know, if you're walking on a dark street at night and you hear footsteps behind you, that's anxiety kicking in saying, Hey, you might want to look behind you. (laughs) You you This this may not be a, you know, a non-threat. But it's when it becomes chronic, you know, and it goes for like past three months and it's affecting your work, your sleep and your general life that you really need to take a look and get some help and talk to somebody. And it's a sense of dread more than anything. It's a sense of there's a threat somewhere. I don't know what it is. I can't identify it, but I know it's there. And, and people with anxiety will perceive these threats in a lot of different platforms. And even though it's not there and it could be in relationships or work or just about anywhere. And it becomes debilitating um, if it gets to a certain level and you start getting panic attacks and, that sort of thing. And so you want to catch it early. Um, like most things you want to start treating it early and you treat it with various tactics, um, that come from like cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and like, if you have OCD, for example, and, and I went through this, it was fantastic, fantastically, um, disgusting. <laughs> I, 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 I went in to my therapist and it was in a hospital and we were working on OCD that day. And he said, I need you to go into the bathroom and touch everything. Just really get in there and rub your hands on everything. Ugh, uh, toilet handle, yeah, doorknobs, everything. and you're not allowed to wash your hands. You need to come back in here. So, you know, for one minute, I had to rub my hands on everything. And um, I don't know if they would do this today. Um, yeah. <laughs> we have a, a few things going around like monkeypox, et cetera. Right. But, you know, I had to sit then go back into his office and sit there calmly and, and talk to him and, and let the anxiety subside within me to the point where I forgot what I had touched and it worked. And, uh, hmm. you know, it was, you know, that's a mass exposure. That's a, that's a triage, you know, kind of just full bore anxiety exposure. And that's, that's a tactic in exposure response prevention. So you get exposed, your response, you want to tamper, um, so there's all these different tactics to work on anxiety, but that's kind of 
Um, and we could, that's a whole separate conversation. And yeah, but uh, I do want to touch books. on this. Yeah. I want to touch on this real quick though. So, so essentially what you're saying is something like, um, okay, you touch the, um, the, the, the sink. Uh, and, and if you've ever been to a public bathroom, you all know, as Dane Cook uh, hilariously said once, everything is wet, right? So if you go into yeah. a public bathroom <laughs> and you touch the sink and it's, or, or even, you know, around the sink and it's all wet, it's disgusting. Okay. So then what? So then you're coming out and, and you're um, distracting yourself or because. Oh yeah. I'm on the verge I, of a panic attack. And oh, I, I would be to... fuck. Yeah. I don't even, I don't even consider oh, yeah. myself to having anxiety, but disgusting. that sounds fucking terrible to me. So, so do you, is it, is it a matter of the strategy is sort of distraction until you forget that you just did all that shit? Is that sort of the strategy? No, it's to sit with it. It's to know it's there Okay. and to accept it radically. So okay. I'm radically accepting this. It's not going to okay. kill me. Okay. Yeah, it's dirty. It's gross. It's like Campylobacter right. and E. coli and C. diff and, you know, <laughs> who knows what else? CRE. I mean, there's some really threatening right. things in a hospital yeah. and, um, and just to sit with it, you know, I'm not going to lick my fingers, but <laughs> I'm going to, you know, just let my hands fall by the wayside and be okay. And when our appointment's over, I can go wash them. And God, I got to tell you, man, it, it really, I calmed down. Huh. Like it, it wasn't fatal, you know? Yeah, um, true. True, true. So, I mean, he didn't ask me to lick everything in the bathroom. That would be different. Right. But um, yeah. And so, so that like, was it's like sitting, yeah, sitting with it, like sitting. I, I kind of preach all the time, sit with your pain, you know, feel it in your body, especially, but feel your pain. It's sort of, sort of similar. Like you, you can't run from these things, right? Right. I mean, you can. It's a fight or flight response, but that's not the, you know, you run from the threatening thing that might kill you. Sure. Uh, but, but most things aren't going to kill us. Most yeah. things aren't threatening. And, and so I bring up this, this drastic exp exposure scenario because sure. that's how you handle these other things. So if you have a presentation, you embrace it. You, you go in um, with an open mind and you, you just radically do it. Um, I use that word radically because it takes that kind of acceptance to, yeah. to just face something. Yeah. And um, if you're feeling test anxiety, you prep for it. You, you prep as best you can for that exam and, and you go in armed with it. And um, so there's all these different tactics I talk about. There's, you know, distress tolerance, there's radical acceptance, which I have alluded to. Um, there's breathing techniques, et cetera. But yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't think I struggle with anxiety. Um, I mean, that scenario you described with touch and shit makes me anxious i guess but. <laughs> <laughs> well you have you have some level to survive right um, yeah I, I would imagine yeah i would imagine well you said we kind of all do so and it makes sense right, I, never, we, I never really thought of it in, in that way yeah and then you know there's um there's I, I just lost track of my thought but um you know we all will perceive it in some level in our day-to-day -day interactions but we don't we don't react or even take note of it sometimes because it's just built into us as yeah. this is how we function. Like if you're driving and somebody suddenly changes lanes and didn't see you, you know, you're going to feel a sense of panic and um, you're going to get out of the way or you're going to flip them off or whatever. Right. Um, you know, that's the anxiety you don't even notice. I mean, it's just, it's just keeping you safe and, yeah. and you're responding. But, but when, when you get this threat perception in your own house and, you know, um, it's getting disruptive to your, your work or you're perceiving things that somebody's saying on a zoom call for work and 
they're side-eyeing you or whatever. And you're like, right. oh, they're mean mugging me on this call. Right. I can't, what are they thinking? And that's right. when it's getting disruptive and it really can impact your job. Uh, I've quit jobs. I've walked out of corporate jobs um, just because I had a bad meeting. I mean, just, and I, you know, I've, I've let anxiety train wreck my life in so many ways that I had to take control and um, I had to get a handle on it. And I knew that I had to learn some skills. So. Yeah, well, again, uh, bravo, kudos to you, my friend. Um, I think well, I always say if people can come through my level of anxiety, anybody can. I mean, yeah. it's just been um, paralyzing. Um, you know, what I wanted to bring up earlier that I forgot was the panic attack situation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an actual methodology that if you feel a panic attack coming on, you worsen it by trying to deny it mm-hmm. by saying, oh, God, I'm having a panic attack. I, I, I don't want to have this. Yeah. If you actually accept it, and try to just breathe through it, it yeah. takes away its power yeah. and it's clinically proven and it works. And so, um, you know, th- this facing these things, you know, anxiety, it needs to be challenged. Yeah. It, it grows, it festers and it becomes chronic when we ignore it. And then it becomes the life driver in our day to day. And that's what you don't want. I think that that can be the same can be said for the pain of a breakup in a way, right? You can't, for sure. you can't ignore it. You can't, fuck it away or drink it away or snort it away or temporarily. Yeah. 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 But it it always, it it doesn't go away. Right. Unless you absolutely deal with it and face it. Yeah. You can try to, you know, there's that saying the quickest way over one is under another, but you know, you end up in that dirty sex scenario and you're clawing for your underwear with your toes in the bed to get the hell out of there because you know, this isn't somebody you would even hook up with normally or whatever. Been there, done that. Yeah, we all have. Right. And then you just have, now you have anxiety, you have depression and now you've got this regret and yeah, yeah, it's a temporary thing and a a breakup. And I write this in my book, anxiety hacks for an uncertain world. It's every chapter. There's 22 chapters is a trigger Mm. and one is breakup and divorce. And so, you know, I talk about the, what it's like to go through it. I have a lot of anecdotal evidence. And then uh, we dive into the, um, I brought in a psych, ID for some of the tactics, but then we review the, the tactics of how to, to get through it specifically yeah. um, moment to moment. Mm. And sometimes you are just going moment to moment and that's True. okay. Yeah. Um, yep. It's a lot of mindfulness. It's breathing tactics. It's distress tolerance. It's these things. Um, and if you, do you want to talk about that some more yeah. about those? Yeah, tactics? We can dive into that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it is an absolute trigger um, going through, <clears throat> especially if you're on the receiving end. Right. And, you know, I talk about some of these more prominent tactics to get through the anxiety of a breakup or divorce. And mm-hmm. one of them is, and I always suggest this to people is, is to have a bub, a breakup buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's somebody that you need in your life that you can go to and be like, man, you know, right. I'm really suffering. I, I'm crying. I'm not eating. And, yep. um, this needs to be your, the person that you reach out to rather than your ex, because, um, you know, I don't suggest sending dick pics to your breakup buddy, <laughs> but you know, you can send everything else that you, that you're thinking, you know, like yeah, I really yeah. want to text her or him or, um, yeah. and you know, you can go to this person and tell them because you need somebody to think for you when you're in these situations in the short term. Yes. Because, you, you know, your thinking is clouded. Um, you're convinced that re- reaching out or, yes. or hooking up with them again is going to fix the problem. Yeah. Um, 
more often than not, it's not mm-hmm. going to fix it. So yeah. this is somebody that uh, will will counter your ill-advised thoughts in those dangerous moments of relapse and I like it. who is empathetic and will handle the mood swings and random lunacy that you're going to fire at them when you're in that early throes of a breakup. Um, The next thing I would suggest um, is you got to, when you, when you go through a breakup and even if you're on the receiving end is you break up with everything, right? You know, maybe there's a chance there's going to be reconciliation on the back end. That doesn't matter right now. It's self-preservation mode and you're not going to be preserving your psyche if you're getting updates on social media mm-hmm. uh, or you know seeing what their friends are posting etc yes. um you know many of us are old enough to remember when a split would happen when we had dumb phones or phones tethered to a wall you know and we didn't have all of this mm-hmm. information flying at us uh, you know at, at wi-fi speed and yeah. breaking up was a discrete event it was less grueling you know the world was offline and it really was easier. And, and now, you know, I suggest that folks do break up with the social media as well. At the very least, you can unfollow people. You don't need those updates right now. 100% and, agree. Yep. And if there is a chance for reconciliation, if that's something you want and it's a healthy relationship, then, you know, you're not going to be missed if you never go away. And so, you know, right now, go away and be great and be gone. Uh, make your last gesture a, a good one, a healthy one, and then be gone. And this is for you, uh, not for the other person. You're not like, oh, if I'm gone, they'll miss me and want me back. Well, maybe, right. maybe but yeah. again, it's for you. Yeah. Um, and related to that, another thing I like to stress to folks is the solution is within you. It's not within that person. It's not with your ex. And we, uh, you know, we want to fix things as guys and we're convinced we can fix every relationship that goes sour. Yep. And we're convinced that our purview is the right one, right? Um, even in my current relationship, I'm constantly going through roadblocks and breakups even because I don't, you know, I have a, I have, it's, it's hard to break through with me um, for her. And, and so I'm not always, um, intimacy is, is always tough for me. And, um, it's something I'm working on, but I'm convinced that I'm, you know, the greatest lover of all time. And, you know, that's actually not true. I'm learning that on the regular. And so, <laughs> you know, when you go through a break, I mean, I've been through many, um, I choose, uh, I have a record of choosing badly. So those end badly. And, you know, we pick the people that reflect our state of mind at the time. If you're in a low place, you're going to pick somebody that's not good for you. Yes. And, um, which is why. Being alone is a great thing. Oh, amen. 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 That's the time we, you know, figure out who we need to be with and yeah. what we need. And yep. so I really want to stress that your peace and healing is never within someone else. Everything you need is within you. And, and that is counterintuitive when you're going through a breakup because you're convinced this other person is going to save me. I need them to save me. Yeah. But they, they're not. They, they, it's a crutch. It's an escape. And you were whole and you were grand before this person. And you have to reflect on who you were um, before that and, and assume that you're not getting back together um, because we don't know. And maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. But, but if you don't, you're going to be okay. And it's, it doesn't feel that way in the, in, the, in the moment. But when you get some distance from it, that's when you realize, holy Toledo, shit, I am a, I am a whole entity. Yeah. You know, one plus one isn't two, it's, it's enmeshment. Yeah. 
It's, it's, well, it is two. One plus one isn't one. <laughs> one plus one is two because right. you are separate. And, and it's yeah. when one plus one becomes one, yeah. that's enmeshment. Yeah. And that's not healthy. No, it's not. We do not want to merge with another person. We want to be independent fence posts that support one another, but can stand alone. Yeah. So, yeah. And what I, what I see frequently is, is, and I, and I, I preach this stuff all the time. You, you were preaching to the choir, my friend. I, I couldn't said it any better. In fact, you've said it way better than I could, but I, I, I what I see then is, is guys, they dive, they dive into the next one. And, oh, she's so oh, amazing. Yeah. She's the greatest thing ever. And then, you know, six months, a year, whatever it is, maybe 10, I don't know. Uh, usually not that long, a couple months, year. Oh, she was the worst. Women are the women are the worst. It's all these women. <laughs> women are terrible. It has nothing to do with me or my choices. It's them. It's like, uh, uh, Wherever on. you go, there you are. You're going to drag your shit and your baggage and your breakups. If you don't deal with them, they will follow you and you will deal with them in the next relationship. Whether they manifest 100%. in that relationship or not, you have brought that pain and that what you haven't dealt with into that relationship. So yeah. what happens is all that culminates into now you're with the third one yeah. after that big breakup you didn't deal with, yeah. but now you're going to deal with it when yeah. that ends and you yeah. will. Yeah. So when those ties get severed for whatever reason, you've got to do it. And this is what women are great at right. in a breakup. Women deal with the pain and the hurt and the separation and all the crap on the front end. Yes. They're masters at this. Yes. And they typically don't go hooking up with another guy. Um, I'm not to say that they don't, but right. that's not really their methodology. They're masters at healing and moving forward after they heal. Whereas guys do it on the back end. We well do yeah. exactly what you described. We'll yep. drink, we'll go to strip clubs, whatever. We'll hook up, yes. we'll yep. go online. We'll swipe right on everything we can. Yep. And we don't deal with it until later. By the time we deal with it, our ex is now over it. And we're just now starting to process it. Yeah, I think what I see uh, typically is uh, women will will resolve all of their shit while still in the relationship. Um, Sometimes they do that too. And, yeah, and, and still they'll they will find another towards the end, or the or the other becomes the absolute last part catalyst to like they they've been dealing with it. They're not happy. They're they decided yeah. they're working through it. And then someone comes along and okay, this is, yes, I definitely should then. And because they've worked through all their shit, they, they don't, they don't have the same feelings for you. Unfortunately, this is just my experience again, uh, anecdotal spot on. Yeah. But, and then, and then all it seems and feels like it's a sudden thing. And I was reading an article uh, yesterday um, about the walk away wife syndrome. It's a, it's a, it's a common thing theme uh amongst the community um and i think there's some there's some real validity to it but uh and i think it was the person perhaps the person actually coined the phrase she sort of wrote a um a second part and she's and she was describing essentially what happens is women um get fed up with not getting what they need and 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 as we described they go through all the shit and they process it and then they also shut up about it like they stop complaining and yeah because yeah. they're because it's they're a dangerous time right they've given up and then the guy thinks oh well finally everything's everything's good and yeah, then yeah. and then and then all of a sudden there's a departure that feels sudden but is not to, to the woman she's been working on this shit for a little while which is it's it's crazy and it's sad and it's frustrating and it's it's a lot of things and uh the, the other part of it though she's like you know what there 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 is a piece of this that, that women have to take responsibility for and i'm paraphrasing and you guys can go find the article and, and read it yourself but um once they get to a point where they're sort of done 
then intimacy stops too. And so it, it's sort of, it's this sort of like really negative feedback loop. So um, the guy doesn't open up because he's not getting any intimacy. So he'll shut down too. And, and it's like, it, it's just this really sad sort of dance that in my view, and some people call this, you know, it's feminine to talk or for whatever fucking reason, but it would, it would all be solved with a fucking conversation or, or, oh, yeah. or a hundred yeah. or whatever. But like, if you don't fucking talk about it and this is where I think, you know, chicken or egg, like, is it the woman not expressing herself or is it the woman tired of expressing herself and not, not being heard, whatever the fuck that could mean. Right. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but it is essentially something where if both parties were open and vulnerable and honest, we can avoid some of this shit, but God. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole, that's a whole nother podcast. Cause you nailed it. <laughs> and it's the latter, by the way, yeah. men don't often want to hear it or we can't hear it. I know for me, that was the case because I, this is, yeah. this is the conclusion <clears throat> I came to when she would get emotional about things. I couldn't fucking handle it. And so I would shut yeah, the conversation yeah. down. We don't speak that language. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, it's like, well, that's a shitty way to be like someone's coming to you with their vulnerability and you can't handle it. And you, and you're a dick about it. Like what a fucking asshole I was. And, and there's no question that I was at times. Um, I think in general, uh, I was a good uh, husband. I think we could have worked things out. You know, you kind of said, you know, earlier, like men like to fix things. So I think it was fixable. Fuck yeah, it was because because it was something, right? It, it it was a thing. And so could it, it, I believe you can make it back to that thing. But, but you know, that was- Well, you did the best you could with the skills you had at the time. 100%. We don't get these skills on no. the fly. Like we get them in, as we live and yep. we go through relationships and each yep. one grooms and- hones us and sculpts us into a a better relationship partner. And I've been on that end. I've had those conversations and where it was like, Oh my God, what you're leaving. But I missed when I traced it back. I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. She actually told me this a thousand times, literally. And I missed all of it. And yeah, it's just, it's just like the communication styles of men versus women. And, um, and God, everything could be, (laughs) I mean, wars could be prevented from communications, right? I mean, Amen. it's huge. It's such an elementary, fundamental skill that we do not give any credit or weight to. Um, yeah. Well, we don't we, learn how to do it either. Like, what is there? A, is there a conversation class in high school or college? Or you know what I mean? Should we don't. Hundred percent, there should be, but there, there definitely isn't. And and it's you're right. It it not only could it solve relationships in terms of intimate ones. It, they can solve a whole lot of fucking relationships, whether it be cross countries or, or, or coworkers or whatever. It's it's uh, it's it's a skill that we all need, but uh, few have. Honestly, I'm getting there. We all want to get our message across. You know, listening is a is a is an art, and you know, people sure. will hear, but they they hear and they listen to respond rather than pausing, taking the information in, and then responding to it. And so that's, that is a problem. And yeah, communication styles have ended countless relationships and, um, you know, we see it every day in the, in wars and, and corporate breakdowns and fights and road rages. And, you know, um, I, I had a a road rage many, many, many years ago. I was in my twenties and, and, and we ended up on the side of the freeway fighting and, and then we just realized how stupid it was. (laughs) And we both looked at each other and I kid you not, um, you know, we damaged each other's cars. We punched each other and we ended up hugging it out. We went and got a beer 
<laughs> I, I, I'm not kidding. And I, I mean, you know, had we just communicated in the, in the beginning um, and not thrown blows and been stupid, it could have ended horribly like it often does. But um, yeah. God, if we just would have been like, Hey man, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, you know, but we see apologies as a weakness as well, and it's True. really not. Again, that's a strength. It's a, it's yeah. showing vulnerability. It's showing that I'm fallible. Yeah, I make mistakes as a human and as a man, and I'm yeah. sorry. And then and, and really owning it. So, anyway, I know we're over time, but uh, oh no, no worries. Listen, uh, this is awesome, uh, and um, I, I thank you so very much. And I got to tell you, John, I'm I'm really excited to ask this last question to you because uh, um, you're you're clarity your your opinions uh, i mean they just are such an alignment with me i i hear and see and feel like a, just a very fucking caring man and and i man i thank you for doing this and i i am will you be my friend a hundred hundred percent i'm gonna i'm gonna get a piggy bank i'm gonna put money in that fucker until i can save up for a plane ticket um but i'm really really excited to get your answer on this last question and that is uh, what words of wisdom would you impart to a man who is just starting out his divorce process? Yeah. I, and I want to go back to that, you know, build, I always assemble your troops before you need them. Um, a lot of guys, we won't, we won't build those friendships. And then when we go through a divorce or a breakup, we're like, shit, where are my friends? Yeah. I, I blew them off for this, this woman or yeah. man. And it's, oh God, man, you, you've got to try to keep those people in your life. If not, you know, reach out to people. If, if you think that this is, if it's really hurting you, please. And I really stress this one is seek a professional help, yeah. seek a therapist. It, it's, it's again, a strength. You've got to get some stuff off your chest and out of your head. You need some coping tactics. You've got to make sound decisions. And when we're in that space, um, it's a, it's a, it's a dark, dark place. I get it. And, and you need a guide um, to get you through that. And, and again, you have the skills to get through it, but you may not necessarily realize what they are, how to use them. We've got this toolbox. It's, you know, always compared to a really extensive, nice, you know, toolbox and, and you open the door and you have all this hardware and you have no idea how to use it. You have all these tools in your head. We all do. We're created with them, but we don't know how to, to use them, leverage them, tap into them, make them work. Um, and, and, stay away from the substances. You know, this is going to be, this is only going to hamper you. Alcohol is a depressant. Um, yeah. weed isn't, you know, there's all this, you know, I like to do edibles to sleep, et cetera, but, sure. um, you gotta be very careful with this stuff. It can really, really impair you in a, in a dark way, darker way. Um, you know, it's okay to, to make a mistake. If, if you reach out to somebody and, and you want to just hook up, I mean, we all make mistakes. Don't, don't beat yourself up if that, if that happens. But again, the solution is within you. Um, forgive is another one. Um, yeah. Forgive yourself. Uh, forgive the other person. Forgiveness is giving up the hope of a different outcome. It's not, uh, it's okay that I was horrible or you were horrible. Uh, it, that's not what it is. This is again about releasing regret and saying, Hey, I am going to learn from this. I, I call it practicing breakup dementia. Um, you know, you've been forgiven. You need to forgive yourself. And even if you were at fault and the, the truth is most of us are doing the best we can with the skills we have at any given moment. And, and, you know, practice some self-soothing, be good to yourself. 
Yes. You need sleep. You need to eat right. Um, you know, do some comeback cardio, get out there, hit the trails, um, work out. You know, if you need to journal, do that. Um, and remember that everything, and I'll close with this, everything in the past is going to seem better. And um, I call this don't get kicked in the, in the nostalgias. Um, you know, nostalgia is, it has a utopian aspect because it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's imagination. Um, you're reminiscing about a previous romantic love. Your past difficulties are often overlooked. You're idealizing your ex and the time you spent together. Um, you have this image in your head that the past looks so perfect, but it is a mirage and it's created by nostalgia. Yeah. The past holds nothing for you now. So stop looking there. Uh, man. Excellent words of wisdom, my friend. Thanks again, John, for doing us. Really appreciate it. Let's uh, recap on uh, how people can find you and, and your books and stuff. Yeah, thank you. So I'm at stateofanxiety.com. I can be contacted there. Um, I do I do coaching. I do help people through stuff like this. And um, the new book released is at anxietyhacks.co. Um, I have a free chapter there um, you can download. And there's there's no hook. You just give me your email and you get a chapter of the new book before it's released. So, and that chapter is on state of the world. So it's, uh, it's quite relevant for everything that we're seeing today. So yeah, for sure. Thank you that, for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thank thanks. You. Thanks. We'll definitely stay in touch. I have a new friend, everybody. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We're buds. <laughs> um, uh, thanks. Thanks again. And, and uh, hopefully, you know, we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, yep. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. Thank you to Nick Coyle and Lifer for allowing me to use their song, Born Again, which you're hearing now and at the intro to the podcast. Thank you to Justin Dillahanty and all of my brothers at The Alpha Code. Please visit the website, risingphoenixpodcast.com to connect with me and other like-minded men who are looking to thrive and grow after their divorce. And remember to surround yourself with people who add value to your life, who challenge you to be greater than you were yesterday who sprinkle magic into your existence like you do to theirs. Life is not meant to be done alone. Find your tribe. Take care.